from the vault. High atop the pastoral center of the Diocese of Camden, you're listening to Talking Catholic. Hello, everyone, and thanks for listening to Talking Catholic. This is your co-host, Mary McCusker, and I'm joined by Mike Walsh on Zoom today. And I think this is our first time recording in 2021. Mike, how's the year been for you so far? Uh, I think it's been good. Um, You know, it's fine. There's been a few things in the world that have been uh, mildly upsetting. But um, other than that, I I signed up for my my, uh, shot for the vaccine. So whenever New Jersey determines that I'm eligible to get it, I can go and get the COVID vaccine. So I'm excited about that. Um, You know, all is well. How about you, Mary? How are you? I'm all right. Um, I'm getting old. I fell asleep before the clock struck midnight on New Year's Eve, but that's okay. <laughs> I'm officially 30, but other than that, all is well. <laughs> the uh, No, actually, uh, you know, so far, you know, 2021 has been going along as we'd expect. We're recording this a little early. We're recording this about, uh, oh, about 10 days before it's going to go out, so who knows what's going to happen in the next 10 days, but... Um, I, uh, no, I'm looking, I'm, I'm pleased with how things are moving along right now, professionally anyway. So and we'll see. To execute all the professional New Year's resolutions, right? That's right. Well, one of my resolutions is coming to fruition is uh, your boss is on this episode. So, you know, we, we haven't had uh, Kevin Hickey on since uh, September or October, I think. So uh, I'm very excited to have him back. And Wild. somebody gave... And somebody gave him a proper headset, so we'll actually be able to hear him on this episode. So I'm very excited <laughs> about that too. Um, but no, it's it's good. No, no, and I, I've seen the, some of the stuff we have planned for future podcasts already. It's gonna be a it's gonna be a good run of podcasts here in the beginning of 2021. So I'm very very pleased. Now I should and warn the listeners the that I made was kind of, you know, for this podcast, thinking outside of the box, thinking more about. The bigger picture, you know, we've heard a lot from um, staff and volunteers here at Catholic Charities Diocese of Camden, but a lot of our listeners might not realize that we're part of something much greater and bigger, that we're just one out of hundreds of Catholic Charities agencies across um, the whole country, and we all fall under the umbrella of Catholic Charities USA, which I wanted to talk more about today. Um, So... Joining us first is our own executive director, like you said, Mike, um, Kevin Hickey, who also is part of the Board of Trustees for Catholic Charities USA. And I'm so happy that we're also joined by Mr. Brian Corbin, who is the Vice President of Member Services uh, for Catholic Charities USA. He's a uh, wonderful representative of Catholic Charities and he was one of the first people I thought of to bring on. And actually, when I first talked to Kevin about reaching out to him, Kevin, in a, uh, a wild state of paranoia, thought that we were all planning to overthrow him as the executive director and replace him with Brian. <laughs> but that is not the case. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's always not- nice to bring up Kevin's paranoia on the podcast. That's nice. <laughs> Kevin, thank you for bringing you and your chaotic brain with us today. That's uh, my pleasure. And, if, uh, I, 
and Mary works for the both of us. So after that intro, if you'd like to discuss her future employment, I'll be uh, I'll be more than happy to have that conversation with you. <laughs> Maybe Brian will hire me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I'm uh, very happy, uh, Mary, to also say uh, thank you and welcome to uh, Brian Corbin. And Brian's the executive vice president of Catholic Charities USA. Uh, which doesn't quite, in, in, in my mind, encapsulate <clears throat> what he does for uh, 170 directors of Catholic charity agencies around the country. And I, I dare say, it's not an exaggeration, I, each one of us has benefited uh, from quiet conversations with Brian about many, many different challenging issues. Uh, so, Brian, thank you. It's good to have you on board this podcast. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you, Kevin. I appreciate it. Thank you, Mary. And thank you, Michael. And uh, Kevin, I appreciate your job. And um, I'll say with my job. So it's okay. We're, being together is really great. So thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. And before we get too far down the road, I should let everyone know that uh, Mary's uh, internet connection is a little dodgy today. So we may lose her at some point or may, she may sound a little gappy, but uh, but uh, don't worry. We will we will muddle through. Very sorry. So, so Mary, um, tell me again why you wanted Brian on the podcast. How do you? What is? How did you actually like learn anything about him? Well, Brian is one of those people who's kind of everywhere. Every time there's a, a gathering with Catholic Charities USA, I've seen him. I've heard him speak. Um, I see him on social media all the time, and he really just seems to be in tune with the mission of Catholic Charities, you know, nationally and in touch with all of the different um agencies across the country um so brian can you tell us a little bit about your role at uh catholic charities usa i know it's a whole lot but um can you tell us about it sure so um thank you so as kevin said i'm the executive vice president for member services and my job is to basically work with the 170 diocesan members so catholic charities usa is a membership organization we were founded in 1910 uh with a, with a role with the goal of three things basically uh, having best practices and sharing best practices amongst all the institutions. Second is helping build capacity and develop programming and, and deepening that, informing people uh, to be leaders. And the third function is uh, what's called the, be the attorney for the poor, meaning advocacy. Uh, and because of, we're in Washington or in Alexandria, Virginia, we, we Catholic Charities USA, our office focuses on the national level but we have a lot of work to do. Every city has a mayor, has a city council, there's commissioners, there's state leaders, there's, state, there's the state assembly. Uh, so it's both local, it's, it's local, state, and federal. So together we do that. So my job is basically to manage um, the relationship with the Dawson directors like Kevin, and also to kind of look at our strategic priorities and help our agencies look at uh, programs and how they can design programs look at disaster response. I know you've had some experience, Kevin, I think with our disaster office, unfortunately, on a couple of occasions, right? Um, and doing public policy as well as uh, formation. So those are the major areas that I kind of uh, manage for the national movement. So that's a whole lot right there. Can I ask how you came into this role and kind of a little bit about your background and what led you to Catholic Charities USA? Sure. Um, I don't want to start, start at day one, but I'm going to start there for a reason. When I was 16 um, in the state of Maine, I'm from the state of Maine, the great state of Maine. Um, when I was 16 years old, I was elected to be the youth representative on the board of directors of Catholic Charities of Maine. 
And I served two years until I was a, a senior in high school. I served two years on the board. And, you know, I have a 16 to 18 year old kid. What does he know? Nothing. <laughs> but at that point, I was learning about Catholic charities. So that was kind of cool. But the first meeting I went to um, was in northern Maine. And it was with the Abenaki Nation. And Catholic Charities was deciding at that meeting if they were going to represent the Abenaki Nation against in a lawsuit against the state or the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, because when Maine broke off from Massachusetts, land was not given to the Abenaki Nation. And Catholic Charities became the lawyer of choice or the agency that represented the Abenaki Nation to get their land rights back. And I thought, wow, that's Catholic Church, that's Catholic Charities doing this? I want to be part of this. So that kind of led to issues around what kind of I wanted to study, where I wanted to go to school. And one day, um, I, I was thinking of just becoming a teacher or a professor, and a priest friend of mine said, hey, there's a job open in Catholic Charities of Youngstown, Ohio. I was like, okay, apply. <laughs> I did. The bishop hired me. So I became a Dawson director at about 27 years old in Youngstown, Ohio. And I served wow. there for 27 years uh, in Kevin's, basically Kevin, the kind of work that Kevin does uh, in Camden, I did in Youngstown. And then after 27 years, um, I was approached to come to Washington, to the national headquarters and do that. So that's kind of, I've had a lot of time in the field in administration and in programming. And I really go back to when I was 16 in a weird kind of way. So youth ministry matters is what I'm trying to get to as well, because that was because that's how I got connected with youth ministry at the very beginning. Wow, Mary, what, what a strange concept. That that kind of gives me the impression that, I mean, you're you're roughly 27 right now. And uh, you could, I mean, theoretically, under 20. that guide, you you could be you could be the executive director of Catholic Charities of Camden at this point. That's uh, I'm just trying to imagine you and I working together and furthering paranoia, Mike. We can't be doing that. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, Kevin, from your position um, and and one of certainly as Brian mentioned, something that that he did for many years. You know, what is the relationship between the local Catholic charities and, and the national uh, Catholic charities generally? Well, I, th yeah, I think for us uh, on so many levels, uh, it's it's a vital relationship for Catholic Charities Diocese of Camden. We are we are not among the larger, wealthier uh, Catholic charity agencies and, and neither are we among the smallest, but um, I dare say we, we, I rely on Catholic Charities USA for programmatic expertise in, indeed for uh, f financing. Uh, Brian mentioned disaster response. We, we just got a $10,000 grant uh, because of a large fire, Mike, that you're aware of that happened in Camden uh, before Christmas. Um, yeah. <clears throat> So, so it's, it's a deep relationship. And I, I'll just say something uh, about Brian. He gave us a little bit of his background, but this is, uh, Brian's got deep, deep grounding in Catholic social ministry. He is extraordinarily knowledgeable about all the many currents in the United States Catholic Church and, and really indeed in the global church. Uh, so he, he's certainly someone I rely on. And Mary talks about Brian speaking. When Brian speaks, I'm listening attentively. 
even in the back of a bus wandering through Greece or Turkey. Oh, wow. <clears throat> I feel like there's a story there, actually, Kevin. <laughs> well, we were on a spiritual pilgrimage in Greece oh. and Turkey following the footsteps of St. Paul. Wow. And, uh, but with, with a twist. The footsteps at St. Paul of the early Christian church in the work of Caritas, the work of charity. Wow. So we visited not only biblical sites uh, to understand better the early church the first hundred years, but more importantly, we connected with our sister agencies in Turkey and in Greece and different dioceses and learned a lot about them. That And Kevin and I were in the back of the bus. We were relegated to the back of the bus out of choice, <laughs> I think. But we actually had a great time and really learned a lot. I, I learned a lot and learned a lot from Kevin because of his own experience, but also just it was great to chat with him as we were struggling with the scriptures, but also struggling with their reality and versus our reality back home it was just very for me it was a very powerful two weeks of us what were you saying mary i'm sorry i said when when was this pilgrimage january of 15 wow i tell you you know catholic social teaching is one of those things where you know i i think i think some people have that's one of those words that you usually get one of two reactions to um, amongst Catholics. Uh, some that are, yay, Catholic social teaching. We're, we're very excited about that. Go, go save the world. And then the other one who seems to dismiss it because they, with, with complaint that it doesn't deal enough with, with scripture. Um, but the truth of the matter is everything related to Catholic social teaching comes directly. I mean, it's, it's really the, the, the practice of our faith, correct? Absolutely. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, the essence of Catholic social teaching is rooted in the first 31 sentences of the book of Genesis, uh, where we see creation unfolding through God's word in breath over the waters. And then we see in the sixth day, uh, this sense, well, we saw over five days, this whole incredible sense of creation was made that was good. Things were made that were good. And then on the sixth day, man and women were created in the image of God. And that to me is a critical concept. But then it ends and says, the author says it was made very good. Wow. So six times, seven times the word good was used in creation, which tells us in, in, the, in, in numerology, seven is a number of perfection. And so there's a sense of this, it's incredible force of God of creativity, but also ending with the, the creation of the human person, thus rooting all of our teachings in, the, in that the knowledge that we, man and women, each one each one of us is made in the image and likeness of God. And the, the thrust of human dignity from the very first three, 31 sentences leads to the whole thing. And then for me, uh, 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 we hear through the prophets and the law about where are the Anawim, where are those who are left out, the orphan, the widow, the alien. And the, 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 the law says a lot about the Torah says a lot about that group of people and where are they and how they're supposed to be involved and what's the role of the judge and what's the role of the king in that. And then we see the prophets come about and say, where are these people? How are you treating them? Where are these people? And so, and that jumps all the way then to the scriptures where we hear in Luke four, where Jesus opens a scroll in his hometown and says, the good news is I've come to bring liberation to the poor. I've come to bring healing. I've come to bring a, 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 the blind will see. There'll be a new world. Something's going to happen. And I'm in your presence right now. And that says, what about this whole concept of the common good? And 
who we're called to serve. And that drives us then to two other stories of Matthew 25. When I was hungry, when I was thirsty, when I was in prison, when I was a stranger, you visited me. And then the parallel story in Luke of the Good Samaritan, he stopped. Three, two people walked by and the th Samaritan stopped and said, let me take time and bring them to an inn, the church, to take care of them. So Catholic social teaching is, for me, deeply driven in scripture, but it talks about how from dignity to, to the common good, to solidarity, to subsidiarity, how that all works out. And Kevin, you may have another twist on it than that, but that's, that's kind of how <laughs> I get through the day. I mean, it's exciting. It's about scripture. It's a way we interpret that after Kevin, I don't know if you can top that. Oh, I'm not <laughs> going to try. I think that I was just said, you got an indication of why I like to listen to Brian. I learned something. I, I also realized that now I understand why Mary wanted him on the podcast. And that was, yeah. that was beautiful. Yeah. That, uh, that cool. was a, a great way of explaining it. And which I think, I think confuses a lot of people. Sure. And I'm going to go back to, I mean, I don't know, Kevin, if you remember when we were in, um, we actually were in Greece and, um, uh, we were visiting Philippi, and we were visiting Thessalonica, and we were visiting Corinth, and we were visiting Ephesus. And then not only did we see the ancient world and how the church was struggling with, uh, with the early doctrine and early fights, but then remember in Acts 4, in the fourth chapter of Acts, the people lay their goods at the assembly of the feet of the apostles, and the apostles are supposed to distribute the goods to the widows to the widows and the orphans and the aliens. And so I was, for me, when I was in those ancient cities, thinking about the Caritas agencies that were in those cities and how Paul raised money for Jerusalem, even though he was going around to the Gentile nations and raising money for a crisis happening in Jerusalem with the first bishop's appeal, shall we say. <laughs> and then, then right after, after we go visit these ancient sites, we would go visit our, the Catholic Charities Agency, the Caritas agencies located in those cities doing work today. And that to me, for me, was a moment of like, this was scripture and doctrine and the corporal works of mercy. Like, wow, I'm part of this 2000 year old tradition. I don't know how Kevin feels about it, but I'm thinking like, that's what I did in Youngstown for 27 years. Like I'm part of that tradition. That's why Catholic charities exist. That word, it's an unbroken chain for 2000 years. So I don't, Kevin, if you had any reflections on just making fun of that pilgrimage in the sense of like, but it was very, very, very powerful for me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I got, I, thank you, Brian. I, uh, it's, it's good to hear you talking uh, about all this. It's just, uh, yeah, I've, I'm sort of. Uh, You're speechless after Brian's speech. The, um, well, uh, you know, I am curious. One of the things that I've really always been impressed by Catholic Charities, in particular Catholic Charities National, but, but also the fact that Kevin has always been so supportive of this at the, at the local level as well, which is, you know, there really is to me anyway, an effort amongst Catholic charities to really make sure that uh, their people are, are well-educated, not, not just in the, the professional nature of their jobs, but even, even beyond that, that, um, you know, the number of retreats I've seen held, the number of conferences I've seen held and, and, you, and, and I've certainly been a lot a part of a lot of conferences where uh, you might say that they are glorified junkets. You know, you go off, you enjoy yourself, you play a couple rounds of golf, things like that. I've been to two of the Catholic charities, uh, uh, national. What do you guys? What do you, you guys have a different term for annual, it? National, annual gatherings. Yeah. Annual, annual gathering, gatherings. right? So you don't even call it a conference; you call it a gathering. It's a, it's a bringing together of people. 
but um, but the quality of the the you know the learning elements of them is is really impressive. Um, I, I actually requested to go to the one in San not San Antonio and the one in Albuquerque um, last year, I guess, which was if I'm not mistaken, my last professional trip uh, post COVID or pre COVID. Um, because I had had such a great time when I went like two or three years earlier in Boston, I was really blown away by, by number one, the people I met and number two, the fact that it wasn't just an opportunity to get together, play golf and have drinks. Um, it was, you know, the people there really seemed dedicated to the program, um, or not the program, but to, to the work of Catholic charities. So I, you know, from a, from a, from a, um, from a corporate perspective, you know, like, how do you keep, how are you capable of keeping the focus on, you know, the roots of Catholic charities so effectively? I mean, is this something that that's really thought out throughout the year? I mean, is, is this a, is this a, would you say is a goal of the organization? Kevin, uh, Kevin or Brian, either one of you. I'm not Mr. talking. Trustee Mike. Mr. I'm listening. As this is test. I want the uh, people of the Diocese of Camden to, uh, you know, I mean, it's a treat to listen to Brian. So I cede the floor to him. <laughs> wow. Um, by the way, one other little, just before I have, I have to say this before I lose, lose it. So we were sitting in the back of the bus, about three of us, and we kept on sharing a cold for two weeks. So other than that, it was, it was a great trip. Um, <laughs> thank you, Kevin, for starting. Thank you, Kevin, for bringing the virus. Anyway, um, <laughs> um so going back to your question, I mean, so first of all, I think part of that, like why I said that as the early church had to deal with serving the, the widows, and that was the call, the beginning of Caritas, the beginning of the church, um, to understanding Matthew 25, when I was hungry and thirsty, he gave me something, to understanding the Good Samaritan story. I think a lot of people, many of the people that work in Catholic charities see that call to do the corporal and spiritual works of mercy they may not use that language but that's what i think they're called they want to do and as the law and the prophets kept on telling us about where are the unaweed where's the orphan where's the widow where's the stranger that that's a haunting story of scripture that is right today so i don't know about you kevin but i was in youngstown i served a lot of single-headed um, families I also served a lot of dads too, right? I mean, and served a lot of men who had unemployment or were struggling. I served a lot of kids. And as time increased in Youngstown, I served a lot of immigrants. Um, so those three things of um, the unknowing, the woman, the orphan, the widow, and the alien, is something that's in the DNA, I think, of Catholic charities, Michael and Mary and Kevin, if you agree. But then our threefold purpose of Catholic charities is to, to serve to advocate and to convene. So not only do we just serve those who are hungry and thirsty and need help and the orphan and the widow and the alien, but we're also called to be voice for them, to, to either organize them or work with them. And we have this program called Catholic Campaign for Human Development, which I know many of our agencies work closely with to fund agent groups that advocate, but also advocate for them when people don't have a voice, but then to convene other people, to convene the church, to convene other people, community actors to do the same, to, to literally serve and advocate for those people who are lived out. And I think that's part of the DNA of the church that it was stamped on us in the fourth chapter of the, of the letter to the, the Acts of the Apostles, that we are called to give 
to take care of the needs of the widows. And I think that to me uh, resounds. And when you, when I used to bring on new staff in my local Catholic Charities Agency and would get to this kind of conversation with them, some, I had some Jewish people, I had some Muslims, I had some LDS, I had some Protestants, I had some, I can't say, you're part of the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, not so religious. But when we talked about this all together, I had Muslims and I had Jewish people and I had Christians and I had Catholics and I had some of the nuns and ONES say, wow, yeah, that's what I want to be part of. Mm-hmm. That's why I wanted to work with you. And that's always uh, my, I'll never forget the, I had a, a Jewish leader, a Jewish person on our staff. She was just fantastic. And she came up to me after we gave this talk and she said, you understand, yes, you Catholics really get what the Jewish Testament the Old Testament was trying to say, and you brought mm-hmm. it to new life. So that to me always stuck with me. And I also had a Muslim young man who was a very conservative Muslim. And he was like, we get it. I get this. This is fantastic. So I thought that's always been very powerful. So it it's cuts across religious identity, but brings together that the Catholic Church has this deep DNA that it's hard not to share. Yeah. And the corporal works for mercy are organized. We organize. So one thing, I don't know about Kevin, but for me, one thing working for the church is that we're a very institutional, incarnational church. We build institutions. Like the Good Samaritan story, the real focus of the story for Catholic Charities, the innkeeper. We build institutions that long live us um, to serve people and to serve people well with accountability and with transparency. And, you know, Kevin, locally, I mean, that's something that I've seen, you know, listening to Brian, you know, I've seen the, our Catholic Charities office for years. But I mean, just just within what was it, a year or two ago, you had a massive donation from a, from a, how was it from a Muslim group? Was it, as I recall, um, yeah, right around Christmas time, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, it amazes me actually. And your own staff, your your own staff is is not a hundred percent Catholic. You have quite the uh, quite a quite a grouping of uh, actually some of your favorite staff are, are Jewish colleagues of mine, which I we actually I found to be quite useful when we are, we put out messages to the Jewish faithful. We have a habit of running past your your Jewish employees to make sure that we got it right. Yep. Yeah. And the same thing with the with the when we do something for a Muslim holidays, the same thing. Yeah, And Kevin has always done an amazing job, in my opinion, in continuing that education for staff here at Catholic Charities. And whether it's sending an article, putting a book on my desk, um, you know, whatever it may be, just reminding us of that core mission and how it's kind of an ongoing process, like embracing Catholic social teaching and especially applying it you know, keeping it up to date with issues. I remember, especially with the Share the Journey campaign um, two years ago, uh, when it was, you know, welcoming the stranger and just realizing that there's so much to read and to learn in the scriptures and, and elsewhere about how important it is. So Kevin, you've always done an amazing job of keeping us up to date with everything. Thank you, Mary. That's nice of you to say that. Thank you. And it, Kevin, before you came, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I just was going to uh, uh, just one follow up to what Brian was talking about. And these uh, uh, 
pilgrimages that he was describing um, to Greece and Turkey, also to Israel. And, uh, and you know, Brian, I couldn't remember, were, were you and I together in Germany with Klaus, Father Klaus? I think you were the year, I think I was the year before you, Kevin. Okay, you all right. came after me. So I, all three of these, uh, which, by the way, Mike, uh, the vicar general, as a result of these three pilgrimages, uh, started giving me the business that I was the uh, most well-traveled member of the diocese at Camden. Yeah, so I was always going somewhere, according to him. So, uh, it, these pilgrimages, uh, well, they're wonderful for me on many, many levels, but uh, it caused me to come back and to realize what what an amazing treasure the ministry of Catholic Charities was. Uh, and as Brian indicated, you know, going back thousands and thousands of years. And and I, I part of my insight when I came back and uh, was talking about it more and more was that staff, all staff, doesn't matter whether they were religious or hadn't seen the inside of a church in 30 years, they want to hear that, um, they and they want to be part of something, and because it 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 gets at this drive, we all have to be part of something larger than ourselves. So uh, it really was helpful, and of course, it educated me to be able to talk about it in a intelligible way. So uh, that was just a tremendous experience, and so I'm very glad I did that. So thank you for allowing me to say that, Mary. You're welcome. <laughs> So I'm curious, um, this is, you know, we've gone back 2000 years, but I also wanted to talk about um, this past year, you know, as we're in the new year, we're reflecting on uh, the year 2020. Uh, I guess I want to ask both of you, Brian and Kevin, but let's start with Brian. Can you talk a little bit about the chaotic year that 2020 has been between the pandemic Um you know, what have been some of your reflections on this past year? Sure. So one thing that, um, so I'll start with kind of the COVID being a disaster on that. Mm -hmm. uh, I know a, a disaster, right? It's a, it's a disaster both in the economy and both for someone's physical life. And one thing that, so the ray of, so the problem became everyone had to rethink how to do things remotely or just how to do things differently and with new protections. Like, how do you get N95 masks to Catholic Charity staff who are doing pop-up food services and the logistics around that? So that whole uh, crisis of how, who is an essential worker? How do we help those who are, how do our essential workers help other essential workers? How do we, how do we help those who are newly unemployed? How do we help those who are, really facing uh, food insecurity. So seeing this incredible need, but then the glimmer was all of our agencies like Camden, uh, as an example, had gone through some disaster training and had done other things with other, was it Sandy? It was uh, Hurricane Sandy, right? Yeah, I yeah. mean, so just using that one example, you know, so you had to, I'm sure you learned stuff in that time, Kevin, too. And we all learned with you as we watched Camden and other agencies. And like we just had Hurricane Harvey and we watched Texas and, other, and Florida and, and Puerto Rico. But the lessons from disaster response, really, because Catholic Charities is a multifunctional institution, we were able to quickly pivot, I think, nationally, never close our doors, and literally found a way to kind of um, serve people regardless of our own fears, 
and regardless of the risk that we put ourselves in, by which with some sense of safety, going out there and making sure that people were fed and cared for. And I think that to me was a, in the light of a disaster, there was a glimmer of light this, we're not going to end doing it, but we also learned lessons on how to do it well. So that to me was one thing. The other thing that uh, merged for me was I was, I don't know if Camden has this situation, but some of our agencies do, you know, we have nursing homes, we have senior residences, we have special population housing, persons with dis developmental disabilities. How are we going to take care of all those people and staff? And I know that was a big issue that I was working on. It was like, how do we make sure that those institutions that we run and operate are safe at all the time? Then issues around telehealth, some really creative things were going on, use, the use of technology um, from a Zoom meeting to this podcast to a Zoom meeting to help someone get through a mental health crisis. And we've all had to pivot. We had to do things differently. And the government and federal authorities and state authorities that were and insurance companies were all with us and said, hey, we don't know how to do this either. Good luck. And, and waves a lot of the response, waves some of the things that were required that were blockage points. But because of the nature of the pandemic and disaster and their trust of us, we're able to, we were able to shift and do things differently. But then within all of that uh, and the incredible gifts we got from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, the USDA farmers to families, the Felician sisters, Walmart, the Google, Google gave us money and disaster philanthropy, you know, just all those incredible gifts that came to us. And we were able to get to agencies. But the thing that uh, I was really concerned about and continue to keep an eye on is how this pandemic has shown, again, some of the deep um, inequities and some of the deep divides that we still have from the emerging racial justice movements to literally just seeing which communities, which zip codes are impacted differently. And I think that's something that didn't, the pandemic did not cause, this disaster did not cause, but kind of highlighted. And Catholic Charities being committed to service advocacy and convening, I think for me became a, a call to say, well, let's get out of this pandemic, got it. But I think we're gonna have to rethink or rework a lot of helping build communities again and reweaving that trust and that and building more inclusive communities that bring people together, especially the most vulnerable. So those are the things that I learned this year from the national level. Kevin, I'll swing it to you about the local. Well, I, you know, you mentioned disaster and Mary and I made a, uh, Mary, you may recall this, but uh, back in March uh, on your phone, we did a brief recording where we were talking about this, this is a disaster and we know how to do disasters. Brian, you mentioned Sandy, but even before that, we, we've amassed an enormous amount of uh, experience in disaster response and recovery. So, you know, this has obviously brought many, many different challenges, uh, different ones, but at, at some level, they're all the same. And, and when the more you do disaster response and recovery, the more, you, you start realizing there's a commonality to it all. The, the other thing I would say is, uh, Brian, you mentioned the uh, generosity of uh, some of the uh, uh, Robert Wood Johnson Foundation and uh, Felician Sisters, which reminds me, Mary, I would really like to, if we could do something special for the Felician Sisters, uh, we, 
and that money that they gave to Catholic Charities USA comes out of their own grief uh, because they lost a number of uh, sisters to the COVID pandemic. And, and it seems, you know, so Catholic and, and so wonderfully Christian that part of their response is to give money to Catholic Charities USA uh, to be used to prevent evictions uh, as a result of the COVID pandemic. I mean, that's, that, I mean, that's stunning. That's uh, just what beauty in that. So, you know, if there's some way we could do like some sort of a pictorial thank you for the Felician sisters, I'd, I'd just love to do that. I, I, I think we ought to do that. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And, and uh, so, Brian, I mean, at the local level here in the diocese, we've ex- experienced similar generosity. Um, and again, uh, going back to the diversity of staff, there's a diversity of donation. We, we received a, a very healthy donation from uh, a wonderful Jewish man. Uh, you know, uh, we've received uh, enormous generosity from a uh, Catholic high school graduate of the diocese who no longer even lives in the diocese. Uh, this same man gave us $110,000 after Hurricane Sandy. And, and in this, uh, in the calendar year 2020, in response to the COVID pandemic, uh, he gave us $35,000. So, you know, and, and then, of course, there's uh, uh, Mary and I just had the opportunity to read a donation from a landlord, $100. And he was thanking us uh, for helping a tenant of his who was struggling to make rent, and he was uh, very grateful. And uh, Brian, this letter is a, a like a theological statement about what uh, uh, all the things you talked about, the, the scripture, the gospel, Catholic social teaching. It's all wrapped up in this very brief letter this landlord wrote to us. It's just, uh, and uh, Mike, I sent it to the vicar general. He, he wrote back and said, that letter is a tearjerker. Uh, it's it's a beautiful letter. It probably wow. ought to be on the front page of the Catholic Star Herald. It's it's that good, right, Mary? It really is, and it reminds me of another letter that you sent out to all of us at Catholic Charities, Kevin, about a donation that was made. Oh. Uh, can you share that with us? Yeah this this uh, this came this donation came in November. And I was uh, writing a thank you note right before Christmas. And I, this was a, it was a $500 donation. And th- the story was that she was writing it in memory of a man who, who was deceased. And he actually died in 2016. So that's four years ago. And it was to honor his memory because of what he did for this uh, woman's husband who uh, I, I deduce they were in a uh, skilled nursing facility. Uh, her own husband was completely helpless, and this man ministered to him uh, in many different ways. And and I just, you know, I thought, boy, here's a Christmas story. Um, and this is, you know, this is four years ago, and she she said she wasn't able to do anything, uh, but she wanted to send this five hundred hours to Catholic charities as a way of, you know moving it forward. I, you know, it's just beautiful generosity. And it's, you know, I feel uh, it's, it's a gift to read some of these brief letters. Uh, and I just mentioned two of them, this landlord and, and this wonderful uh, uh, person who was honoring this man who took care of her husband. So 
Beautiful stuff, isn't it, Brian? Absolutely. So I think that's where the beauty, where you see some of the negativity or some of the problems and some of the grief and some of the struggles, but simultaneously you see this great light and you see these great symbols of hope. Yeah. Um, and it's just, and I think our role, Kevin, I'm just going to speak for myself, but I think our role as Catholic Charities is to, to connect those two. Mm-hmm. To be yeah. the organization, the organizational vessel to bring uh, struggle and pain together with light and hope. Well said. And just as, as the you know communications director of the diocese who likes to hear about these things and ne- never gets a chance to hear about them until he invites people onto his podcast, any chance any of that stuff might come to the, even anonymously to the Star Herald so I could like put it on the front page? Because that's, that's beautiful. Oh, I also want to also want to test the theory as if it would make me cry because there aren't a lot of the things that we get that make me cry. So you're too cold hearted, Mike. <laughs> I don't know. About- That's right. Or you can always come to a pilgrimage with Kevin and I, and it's in the back of the bus. We'll make you cry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I'm sure for completely different reasons. <laughs> Will they ever stop talking? The um- uh, I, Mr. Walsh, I heard Brian. In case you didn't hear it, Mr. Walsh just took a shot at the executive director and I believe even uh, Miss McCusker uh, for, for hiding our uh, treasure under a, uh, hiding the under lamp a, under the bushel basket. That's right, under the yeah. bushel. I, I've been wanting, I mean, I, listen, I tell you this all the time. Every time I have you on the podcast, I say this exact same sentence. I'm gonna say it again. Every time I'm in a bad mood, I come to Catholic Charities, I'm in a much better mood because of the fine work you guys do there. <laughs> And the fact that you're so beloved, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm sure there's one or two people that might want to take a shot at Catholic Charities. But the truth of the matter is that the supporters are are amazing. And I love to hear stuff like that. I mean, the, the fact that a, a, a landlord gives $100 back to Catholic Charities for supporting his tenant uh, so that that tenant could stay there. I, I, you know, I'd love to know what the backstory is to that. And then maybe that's the kind of situation where the landlord does want to, you know, his stuff to be known. And I certainly understand that stuff. But um, those are the stories. This is the reason the podcast exists, because it's the only way I get some of these stories out there. So I'm, I'm so excited to, to hear that. Well, if, if we can never get uh, Miss McCusker to spend a, more than five minutes in the building, Walsh, uh, we'd be <laughs> better off here. <laughs> now it's all coming out, Brian. You're going to see all the, the knives around now. <laughs> I knew that this would end up being my fault somehow, but yes, absolutely. These stories do be heard. Yeah. I had one more that I, that reminded me of, you know, these heartwarming stories. It was before the pandemic, but I'll never forget it. Um, I was kind of at a point where for whatever reason, I was just feeling some type of burnout or hopelessness. I don't remember exactly why, but I remember getting a call from, uh, an elderly man who was in his nineties and he must've seen something, uh, about Catholic charities. And he called and, uh, left, left this long voicemail. And he said, I have a donation of $20 that I would like to, to give to Catholic charities. And he said, um, I, I don't feel comfortable leaving my home with that amount of cash would there be somebody who's willing to pick it up um, from my home? And he also, he told me about how he went to, I guess, Target or Walmart to also donate socks. And I'm picturing this, this old man, you know, spending an hour in Walmart trying to pick out the perfect pair of socks to give to somebody in need. And 
I remember going there with a colleague. We ended up chatting with him for a long time. And if he was apologizing. I know it's only $20, but it's all I have left at the end of the month to give. Oh. And I remember hearing that just kind of, I almost, you know, choked up on the spot, just but the generosity of people, even who, you know, are struggling themselves. And we've seen that during this pandemic too. Everybody's been affected in some way, but still there's somehow this outpour of generosity that's been so hopeful. Um, so at some point I should compile all of these tear jerking stories together and try to make our <laughs> cry. <laughs> what a concept. What a wonderful idea. I can't. I look forward to this. Mary, Mary must. Mary always loves these podcasts when both Kevin and I are on it because you know, a number one, she's going to get a couple of shots thrown her way, and she always gets more work out of it. <laughs> I feel so bad. But, and you, uh, like as a uh, cold-hearted PR guy, just to steal stories from Catholic charities, and <laughs> well, yeah, I don't it. have any of my own, so I got to take <laughs> Catholic charity stories. It's wonderful. I just sit at home and sit at home and ruminate. Irritating, <laughs> like who's after us now? How am I going to get back at them? That's that's how I sit there. It's like you need to reflect Brian's words a little bit more, Mike. <laughs> well, listen, people. For, I've been working for the diocese now for more than five years, and everyone says the same thing. Like Mike, you really need to go on a retreat. And they're right. I do need to go on a retreat, but it's probably not going to happen this year either. But uh, but it's but but the truth of the matter is, I mean, there's lots of there's. I got news for you. There's more people on the world like me than there are like the three of you. Um, which is why it's so important that the three of you exist. <laughs> it's true, though. It, and it's, that's why it's so important that the three of you exist, that you're out there and that Catholic Charities exist doing all this great work. You know, you know, during my listen, I, it, I feel like I talk about this every podcast. It's probably becoming a broken record. But, um, you know, in all these dark times, I'm constantly the guy dealing with crisis communications, all the difficult things that the Catholic Church is going through. Um, and it weighs on me after a while. And I, and I do get angry and bitter and, and things like that. But and and during during the COVID times, you know, some of my colleagues and staff have have come to me with their own pain and, and the difficulty that they've had. And, you know, they've and they've had and not just you, Mary, but others um, where, you know, it's really getting them down or something that's going on in the world is getting them down. And and, you know, I always try to, you know, be supportive of them, which is, of course, against my nature. But um, I, I always say the I always tell them, I say, listen, 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 me and the attorneys will take care of all the terrible stuff. I need you guys to do all the good work because and I'll elevate it, I'll spotlight it, I'll communicate it, I'll put it out there. But please don't don't get too sad don't get too depressed don't the stuff that you're doing both from the, the the spiritual wing of the catholic church as well as the social justice wing and the education wing of the catholic church you know all that great work that's being done out there to keep our schools open to keep working with our clients to make sure that we're still reaching out to the people in the parishes who need spiritual guidance all that stuff is so amazing and wonderful and i can't, i love seeing it so i will take care of all the depressing stuff you guys keep doing all the good work and that'll be our deal and i'll keep figuring out ways of making sure that people know about it not because we necessarily want um you know a thousand more donors though of course you know we're more than happy to get a thousand more donors but because i think i think the, these kinds of good stories really do nourish people's souls um which brings me to a question that i wanted to ask brian um so you've been You've been in this field for a long time, um, and, and that, that sounds <laughs> harsher than I meant it to. 30, 33 years. That's okay. 30, I'm 33 years. years young in the field. 
The um, so you've been doing this longer than Mary's been alive. <laughs> the um, <laughs> so the question I have is, you know, I mean, how do you? I mean, listen, the the stuff that you guys in my world we often use the phrase, "Hey, we're not saving babies." Well, the truth of the matter is, in your world, you actually are saving babies and people, and and, and all sorts of different ways. You know, how do you keep your your spirits up and spiritually and your soul spiritually nourished over 33 years? Good question and good point. And it's again, not to say that you don't go through dark moments and you don't go through fear and panic, but I think for me, um, so yeah, taking those times out for those pilgrimages have helped me. Uh, and again, that's, you know, far, far in between, but the daily grind for me is um, I spend, I have to spend time every day reflecting on the, the readings for the day. That's what I use. Mm-hmm. And it just, puts me in a tone of reminding me of my rootedness, what I'm doing this for. So I think scripture is very important. Eucharist, as many times as I can go to liturgy, and of course, right now, we're all kind of uh, struggling with that right now, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, Being present, that doesn't mean you can't be present uh, virtually at liturgy. But for me, I think the deeper, a deeper part of that spirituality is knowing that if everyone I meet every day is, are you ready for this? An image of God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm participating in the two great commandments of loving God and loving your neighbor because I see that image of God in that person. Is it tough some days? Yep. Um, (laughs) Even just being a married guy, is it tough even with your spouse? Yep, right? (laughs) But that's not the point. The point is that, that I am actually at a moment of awe that I'm actually looking in the eyes of someone who's made in the image and likeness of God. And that to me brings together those two great commandments that uh, Jesus confirmed every single time he was asked, love God and love your neighbor. So it's that sense of not only just the scripture, the word, the Eucharist sacrament, but also the living reality of another person is in that, that manifestation of the incarnation. Uh, that we just celebrated the great incarnation of God coming to be with us. So I think that's how I, um, that's how I approach it. That's been my, my way out. That's wonderful. Right. That's, um, you know, in these dark times, I have to admit that I, I, and I think this is, I think this is how the world works sometimes, you know, it's during those, those difficult times that we seem to be much, we seem to be more readily able to come back to, you know, um, the Bible and, and scripture and church and mass and things like that during the good times is when we tend to forget about these things during dark times is, is when it's, I think more people are more comfortable with it. But, um, uh, but at the same time, I also think it's during these times when people like me in particular have difficulty with it because we're so sort of beaten down with all the terrible things are going in the world that it's easy to forget to do that. I, I mean, I have meetings with Kevin semi-regularly. I, we haven't really been together much in the last couple of months. I, I assume that's Mary's fault, but I'm, I'm not sure how. Um, the, <laughs> the, uh, but it, it's always impressed me that whenever we have a meeting with Kevin, you know, he's, he, the fact that he's able to bring the spirituality of the day, he'll, he'll think about what's, you know, before he opened the meeting, he'll have thought about what saint's uh, feast day is that day. And he'll make a connection to that saint as we, we enter the feast day or we enter our, our meeting drives me insane because it's 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 another three minutes in the meeting i have to sit but it's it's always really impressive and wonderful because he makes the effort to do that and i i kind of wonder kevin i mean is that something that you learned you know years ago or is that something you sort of picked up over time is to to make sure that daily spirituality is a part of your 
part of the work life of Catholic Charities? Yes, I, I, you know, I, I will credit uh, people like Brian and these pilgrimages uh, and, and this growing awareness that people want that and that's why they work uh, at Catholic Charities. Uh, even if they're not religious, they want to be part of something bigger. And, and one way I can do that is to talk about the saint of the day. Uh, you know, I sent something out the other day about uh, John Newman, uh, what an important saint he is for Catholic Charities work. So, you know, Andy, and it's the little stuff. And, and I, you know, I'll get feedback from staff that, you know, they like doing, uh, hearing that. So, Mike, thank you for noticing. Yeah. By the way, what saint was that the, the last one you put out? Oh, God, Bishop's going to be, he'll get mad at me. John Neumann. Sorry. Neumann? That's right. The good, the good Bavarian saint. If we don't say his name right, we, we hear about it from Bishop Sullivan. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, I see we're running out of time. So, unfortunately, Mary, we don't have time for the Athens airport story. We'll have to come back later. Oh, what a shame. <laughs> we'll have another podcast where we can share that story. That's right. Among- <laughs> but in our in our last uh, minute and a half, do you have any final questions, Mary, for Brian? More insults uh, for Kevin? <laughs> let's see. Uh, any New Year resolutions? Um, I guess the one would be the constant reminder for me. It says, always remember that even though we had limited ability to have Eucharist together, limited ability to bring people together to church, the church was never closed. Catholic Charities, Catholic Healthcare, Catholic Pastoral Leaders, we never close. And I think that to me is a resolution for me to remember that we are in the community, we're in every zip code, and we never close. We may have done things differently, but we never close. And that's the power of the church. That's beautiful. And that's absolutely true. I, uh, that's something that, you know, we've said here as well, that, you know, our, Masses may not have been held publicly, but our churches were never closed. Our offices were never closed. There was always going to be somebody to answer the phone or answer that in a time of need. Well, Brian, thank you very, very much for, for joining us today. Mary, thank you very much for, for setting this up. Uh, Kevin, thank you for getting a decent set of uh, a decent microphone to be able to do these Zoom calls. Very appreciative of that. And to all of our listeners, thank you as always for, for joining us today. And we'll talk to you again next week. See you, everybody.